Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed here at Niche. In this webinar, I had a great conversation with Scott Jashik of Inside Higher Ed. Now, unfortunately, at the very end, we had a technical issue that resulted in the webinar getting cut off suddenly. You want to hear Scott's responses to the submitted questions. Unfortunately, we have those in writing back on the Enrollment Insights blog. You can find that under the show listing at niche.bz slash webinar. Have a great listen. Today, I, I have a, a great joy here in speaking to Josh, Scott Jashik, who is the editor and one of three founders of Inside Higher Ed. So along with Doug Lederman, he leads the editorial operations for Inside Higher Ed, overseeing news content, opinion pieces, career advice, blogs, and other features. Scott's one of the leading voices on higher education issues. He's quoted regularly in publications nationwide and publishing articles on colleges and publications such as the New York Times, Boston Globe, Washington Post, Salon, and elsewhere. He's been a judge or a screener for the National Magazine Awards and the Online Journalism Awards, while as the Folio for Editorial Excellence Awards and the Education Writers Association Awards. Scott served as a mentor in the Community College Fellowship Program of the Heckinger Institute on Education and the Media of Teachers College Columbia University. He was a member of the Board of Education Writers, uh, Education Writers Association as well. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for joining. It's great to be here. I look forward to uh, your your uh, listeners' questions. Yeah, we've got quite a few. A few housekeeping things always come up as questions. Uh, I see one person's already dropped it in here. Uh, Want to cover a few things. Yes, this is being recorded. We'll be sending out the recording link along with the slides. Uh, any additional insights to you as a thanks for, for coming. Uh, there's also going to be an audio version of this on the podcast and the Enrollment Insights podcast feed. Uh, if you have any questions, comments today, Enter those in your chat box. That usually loads on the right-hand side of your screen. Uh, we'll cover those at the end. We've got a lot of questions queued up, uh, but we'll get to anything at the end. Try to make this last about 45 minutes so people have time to get to their next meeting afterwards. All right. Well, things that came up in advance, just want to start off here with probably, I think, one of the most submitted questions, and this was one we already knew we wanted to talk about, but... I uh, had a lot of people submit, you know, there's a lot of hand-rigging and, and hyping of AI, but more hand-rigging right now. Uh, but Scott, do you think that it's going to change essay writing, enrollment marketing, even journalism, or more, or is it just another one of these latest shiny objects? Well, it's definitely going to have an impact, but I think if people are too quick to assume they know what the impact will be. Um, mm -hmm. Look, it's the, the latest uh, on AI has just arrived. And people are saying, oh, well, I could, you, a student could cheat on an essay or mm -hmm. use it to submit an admissions essay that isn't their own. Um, uh, and maybe they can. Um, but, the, the, you know, student cheating is not new. It's not even new to the technolo technological age. Mm -hmm. There has always been an issue with student cheating. And I think what this speaks to I mean, two, two things. One is don't totally freak out over what's happening right now. A year from now, we'll know a lot more and, mm -hmm. um, and students either will have behaved however they behave. Um, I'm not saying not to worry about this year, but I think you're gonna get through this year. And that's really the important thing. And, but, but also just really remember the, the context. Um, 10 years ago, we were all, everyone was freaking out over Wikipedia. 
and saying that Wikipedia was going to make it impossible to to maintain integrity, et cetera, et cetera. Now, many of those people are quite happy to use Wikipedia. And because, you know, it, it took some evolution, um, but I, I predict there will be a similar evolution with AI. Yeah. And, and I remember in school people saying that, well, you know, you can't have your, your essays typed out because you might just copy and paste from somewhere else. It has to be handwritten. And we got past that too. Yep. <laughs> Although interestingly, I saw some people proposing we go back to handwritten now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one problem with that is I think many students today don't know how to do it, uh, you know, <laughs> because they've only used computers. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and, and can you imagine reading and trying to decipher <laughs> handwriting on thousands yes. of handwritten essays? <laughs> it would be a disaster. <laughs> All right. Another big topic topic here, you know, this is probably the bigger issue, something yeah. instead of AI we should be focusing on. Uh, how broad or narrow do you expect the Supreme Court's decision on race and emissions to be? Because listening to the results, reading the results of, of, the, of all the discussions so far, it felt like quite a few of them already had their mind made up going in. Yep. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the, uh, the case was argued before the Supreme Court on Halloween. You can uh, determine if it, you were scared of it. But um, the justices uh, pretty much asked the questions they were expecting, you, that people were expecting them to ask. Mm -hmm. And that yields a six to two majority on Harvard with, without Justice Jackson, who recused herself, and a six three uh, split on UNC Chapel Hill. Um, to judge by what they were saying, and, and uh, Supreme Court justices are entitled to ask lots of questions and then ignore the answers or ignore the questions completely, but mm -hmm. to judge them by what they were saying, I expect it to be a fairly broad decision. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the justices opposed to considering race and admissions um, were pretty firm in their view that it is illegal and immoral to do that. And the others, you know, that there, there are three justices who very much believe in the Supreme in the right to do so, but I just do not see the votes for a narrow decision. In fact, I would say that we shouldn't be saying in admissions, I think it's gonna be in admissions and financial aid. And that is a very important point because there are about, you know, a hundred colleges maybe that use race in admissions in a meaningful way. Most colleges have some programs where they do it in financial aid. And so I think there could be a much broader impact uh, there. As well, mm -hmm. if you have a summer program uh, for, mm -hmm. you know, for, for Latino women, guess what? that's affected. And so I am expecting a broad decision, um, but who knows? Um, it, the decision is expected in um, May or June, probably June, probably at the end of June, um, but who knows? We, we will have to wait and see. Okay. Do you think then that it goes as far as saying that if a college wants to have a, an inquiry program really targeted at 
finding more students of a of a certain race is that now even from the even further uh, up from actually the admissions I, process i i think it's quite likely that that would be illegal and hmm. um and that's what what, what I, I think the admissions uh officers you know that i i privileged to speak to today really need to grapple with how they recruit students not just how they admit students um and you know there are ways you can go about recruiting students um you know but you need to factor in um economics is a legit way because there's nothing about it in the constitution um but anything you do on race uh is going to be very dangerous i'd also remind everyone think about what happened in, when california eliminated affirmative action those first few classes had very few black students at berkeley and ucla they've made it come back through community college transfer students in large part mm -hmm. um but the i, I want to caution you about being overly optimistic about the latino numbers the latino mm -hmm. numbers at berkeley ucla the rest of the uc have gone up in a significant way but the population of California has changed such that the Latino numbers have gone way up and the Latino numbers have not kept pace with that. So um, this is gonna be huge um, and uh, we'll be watching. Yeah, there was a really good uh, submitted question that's sort of a follow-up to this. How might this affect CBOs or other organizations that work with underrepresented students and kind of help them in the enrollment process, but they are not admissions offices. So that is going to depend on whether the other organizations are part of the college or can claim independence from the college. Mm -hmm. um, if an alumni association, for instance, uh, many alumni associations in California got very involved after uh, California eliminated affirmative action. Mm -hmm. If the alumni association was totally independent of the college or university, they could do what they wanted. Um, and that's going to be the question uh, for lots of groups. Um, you know, there, there are still lots of scholarships not run by colleges and universities that go to minority students. And mm -hmm. many of them could be legal, but um, not if they're part of, this, of the college or university. Yeah. How independent, and this may be gain, gain beyond, uh, it might be gain too fine of a point here, in, completely independent in terms of receives no funding, receives no shared resources, receives no yes, regular yes. back and forth. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. Um, okay. That's the thing. It has to be real independence. And, um, and some groups even made themselves independent after California barred affirmative action mm -hmm so they could do that um but that that will be uh a huge test for them yeah well it'll be really interesting to watch and see how people try to continue to serve students who need to be served yeah and, yeah all right um how do you think the accreditation changes will affect colleges and will it impact student and parent perspectives of those colleges we're seeing this in florida elsewhere sort of playing around so the accreditation changes themselves uh are not really seen by most students and parents 
there's mm -hmm. an occasional headline like in Florida, uh, which is you know Florida requiring everyone to change uh, accreditors every I forget how many years, but every you know mm -hmm. to to change, and so you know everyone's all hyper and excited about it, but um, it's not like when a student today is applying to Indiana University or Ball State mm -hmm. or uh, Ivy Tech, they are just assuming that it's accredited. They are not saying, oh, I need to check out who accredits this college. Mm -hmm. And um, now the other change that, that could have uh, an impact long-term is now it's more possible for a college to seek an accredit accreditation outside of its region. Um, so, and that's what the Florida colleges are looking to do. So you've got all of these colleges that are going to be looking uh, outside their region. And some regions have different accreditation standards. So you're going to be in a situation where you're going to have to be figuring out what's best for your college. But I believe, despite the current uh, situation in Florida, that most parents and most students don't really care. Um, I'm sorry to say, you know, it, yeah. it's sort of weird, but it's important to think about because, you know, now they would certainly care if a college, if their college lost accreditation, um, mm -hmm. but that is very rare. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Do you think this will change behaviors of the accreditors to almost start shopping themselves around? Uh, well, we, we will allow these things that these others won't. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you see that with a number of colleges joined the New England Association from the Middle States Association. Um, but I don't think it was quite the shopping that Governor DeSantis envisioned. Um, it, you know, they, they, the New England Association got a bunch of universities that primarily are graduate institutions, although mm -hmm. they also got Hobart and William Smith which is an under, primarily an undergraduate institution. So I don't know, but I don't see the accreditors wanting to play in to what DeSantis is doing. Okay, I guess we the the number of uh, the number of parents and students who really are well versed on this and care about this deeply is probably in direct relation to the number of parents of students who work at higher ed institutions, yes. right? Yes. Everybody in the audience today will care, um, yeah. but not uh, most people. Yeah. Uh, financial aid has been such a big storyline this year. What do you think is going to be the big headline uh, or headlines? And, and, and how can colleges prepare and react to these changes? So financial aid is a very big story. Um, and I would break it into two parts, uh, to, into um, need-based aid and merit aid. Um, on need-based aid, the simple storyline is there's not enough. Um, and, you know, at, at many institutions, um, at the wealthiest institutions, there is enough financial aid for everyone who needs it. And that is great and wonderful thing. But mm -hmm. at many other colleges, there just isn't enough money. And that raises the question of, you know, how much do you expect a student to borrow to go to college? Um, and 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 look at the headlines over debt relief. Who knows what's going to happen with the Supreme Court? But um, you know that is uh, a really serious issue. Most students 
can't be sure that they'll have enough aid. Now then look at merit aid, and there uh, it's a huge, um, a huge shift with more colleges spending more money on their wealthy, on many students who are wealthy, who don't necessarily need uh, a, um, a, a big grant to go, mm -hmm. but want a big grant to go. And so these two both play out at the same time, uh, and that's what we'll be watching. And I, you mentioned earlier too, that the aid specifically targeted at serving underrepresented students, that may be in jeopardy now as well. Right, I mean now, not aid for low-income students, and yes. that, and even if even if your low-income students are disproportionately black or Hispanic or mm -hmm. Native American or Asian American, that that doesn't matter if it's open to all. Um, but yes, um, aid for black students is very much in danger right now. Yeah. Well, I think we had a oh a, a very related one here. What trends are you seeing with unfunded discounts? Will they peak or have they already? I think, well, they haven't really peaked. Uh, in the annual study, they keep going up uh, okay. and and seem seems to be no end. But I think at some point they will. Um, look, the colleges are doing the unfunded discounts because colleges are terrified that they're not gonna get enough students. That's the, 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 the bottom line for most colleges. And, um, and so they are pouring more and more money into their discount rates. Now for some colleges that, you know, that have uh, billions of dollars in the bank, that can be great. But for most colleges, it's just a matter of moving the, the lines around uh, mm -hmm. to get, the, to get the, uh, the rates they want and um, it's very dangerous to me what they're doing. Yeah. Can you can you make it affordable enough for students while still having a margin because no margin, no yeah. mission, right? Yep, precisely. Well, one I, I have a little bit of a vested interest in here, direct admissions has been gaining momentum over the past year. Uh, how do you see it impacting enrollment behaviors? So um, we're gonna really be able to tell at the end of this admission cycle because many colleges and many associations like Niche has, have gotten into direct admissions um, in a meaningful way. Um, what I'm hearing, I'm reporting on this this week, is that direct admissions is working in that where it's offered, we're, uh, we're hearing from colleges that they have a good number of students who are uh, participating uh, in direct admissions. Now, direct admissions, for any of you who don't know, is where the student puts a, creates a portfolio and puts in the student's, um, you know, grades, whatever they, if, if there's a test score, they can put it in um, and, you know, might say what they want to study, where they live, whatever. And then the college has to come and look at them. And, and the college will offer them, if they want, uh, an admission slot. And, um, and this seems to be working for low-income minority students, low-income and minority students. Um, look, nobody has to do direct admissions. Um, and Stanford is not doing direct admissions. The, you know, the colleges that you know which ones they are, 
they've got tons of applicants, um, just aren't going to use it. But there's a chance that um, a significant number of colleges will see gains. I talked mm -hmm. to a, one college that is doing entirely direct admissions this year, and they are very encouraged by what their next class will be. Um, so, you know, if you imagine that, um, that, you know, that, that really is a potential to really change admissions. The other thing that's interesting to me is that direct admissions is a movement of colleges that are serving low-income students. And to have something in admissions take off when that was its audience, when no one's using direct admissions to get into Harvard, that's really interesting. Um, and I don't know what impact it will have, but it could change things significantly. Yeah. And that's, we, um, this morning I was listening to some student feedback from direct admission specifically, and it was amazing because it was a student who, his grades suffered during lockdown 2020, 2021. Uh -huh. um, and, and then he, he wasn't really sure if he was even going to be able to go to college, gets this offer, and he said it, it just opened his eyes. It made him start trying harder in school. It made him believe in himself. He thought it, his, um, I, I'm trying to get his wording right here, but he said, I realized after getting this that that I am good enough. That, that, that yeah, he was so tied to these struggles he had during lockdown. You could still be a good student, you know. Of course, you're not going to get the same academic scholarship, I'm yeah. sure, as he would have if he had had straight A's during that. Yeah. But that realization that he could believe in himself again. Yeah, and that's, that's an unintended consequence. Story. And a great one. Yeah, I mean, think about how many people there are who might be inspired similarly. Um, that's that's wonderful. The other thing I, I would say, just a related point on the lockdown. Um, the lockdowns are obviously over, but mm -hmm. the impact on students is not. Um, we're, we are going to continue to see a true impact on students, you know, who were, some were just locked down for a few months, some for a whole year. We're going to continue to feel that for some time to come. All right. With a possible recession coming and high-profile layoffs, uh, you've seen a number of very large companies who had added people now laying some off. You know, we're seeing some changing unemployment looming. What, what do you think is going to happen? What does this mean for higher ed? So um, the weird thing is, um, I don't know, because um, the, the historic patterns in higher ed are that when there's economic hardship, it's good for colleges. Many people will go back to college uh, if they are um, harmed economically, um, and that makes perfect sense. But look at what's going on in community colleges these days. Um, you know, they're down 15% from where they were before the, the uh, pandemic. And this year they, they had, you know, just a small loss, but they didn't make up for the larger losses of before. Um, I would hope that they would see gains, but I'm not sure. Um, you know, the, the other thing is you've got layoffs in some cases of high skilled individuals, mm -hmm. like all the tech company layoffs being announced uh, in the last week. And, you know, the, some of them will see a need to reskill themselves, but it's likely with them, I think it's likely to be in unique programs rather than degrees. 
um, and I'm not sure that the colleges are ready. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing about the recession, if, if we have a recession and that we have more layoffs, is that it's going to hurt higher ed. Um, you know, your college's budget uh, could be cut, whether you're a public or a private institution. And so mm -hmm. you also need to be aware of it from that perspective. One question just came in that is so tied to this, I don't want to wait till the end. Would would this economic hardship possibly be a boon for grad schools, do you think? Uh, yes, it could be. I mean, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of growth in master's degree education. Mm -hmm. And in fact, overall, that outpaced the losses uh, in undergraduates. So mm -hmm. it could be good. Um, but, um, you know, to do it, you've got to have a good message, a message about, you know, helping unemployed get jobs. And it has to feel um, affordable for them. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they, they are mostly people, you know, people have lost their jobs. They want a good program, but they want to know that it's going to be cost efficient, um, which some programs are better than others at proving. Yeah. yeah. Flexibility, cost efficiency. I mean, yep. that's going to be key. You touched on it a little bit here already, but how are community colleges bouncing back in 2023? You know, how, how have they been impacted and, and how is yeah. this impacting the transfer pathways for students on to four-year colleges? So, so I'll start with the second half. Uh, the transfer pathways are down. Um, there are fewer students transferring, which makes perfect sense when you realize there are fewer students in community colleges. But the transfer pathways are why this issue is important to every four-year college. I don't think they always realize it, but they should care about community colleges. Um, the community colleges are um, really hurting um, because their, uh, their appropriations depend on enrollment, not mm -hmm. just from tuition, but from the states. And uh, you know, many community colleges are very quickly trying to you know, rejigger things, trying to have new new programs for those who've been laid off. Many mm -hmm. community colleges are experimenting with apprenticeships or programs that do not necessarily lead to a degree, but give some training for a job. But uh, community colleges um, have really been hurt, and I don't think they've bounced back yet. I hope they will bounce back in 2023, um, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I mean, we need strong community colleges, yeah. communities yeah. for the colleges that students may go on to for students' own mobility. I wonder too how much of it may be that around here at least everybody seems to still be hiring, and there's, there's yeah. low skill. There's places that require two-year degrees who are still hiring. Maybe um, they just don't feel like they need that four-year degree as that transfer. Especially because when you think about it, there are. There are jobs that people can get that are a good job to get if you don't have anything from a community college. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in uh, in big cities, uh, are looking for waiters and waitresses, mm -hmm. and that's not what you necessarily want somebody to prepare for a whole career as. But yeah. um, but if you are thinking of going to community college and you are offered a job paying twenty five dollars an hour. Are you mm -hmm. going to turn it down? Um, particularly if you have a family to support. Um, and that's the reality today. Yeah. 
the, the example I know I've used in the past here, there's a Taco Bell that we've driven past that's advertising $13 an hour plus health benefits. Yeah. You know, if I have to choose between that and paying to get a degree, you know, if, if I need right. the money now for my family or whatever, I know which path I would have to take. Yeah. Right? Um, now, um, some community colleges are boosting their part-time programs as a result so that somebody can hope to do both. Um, and that could be smart. But um, historically, part-timers have graduated from community colleges at lower rates than full-timers. So it's all you know, a matter of what you want to do. Yeah. Yep. A lot, a lot of factors going into it. You know, based on what you're hearing in conversations with colleges, what behaviors do you think will help colleges thrive this year and really adapt to how this landscape keeps changing so rapidly? So the number, I don't want to say, maybe I want to call it the number one thing, but the real thing is that colleges need to know who they are. And, mm -hmm. and by that, I mean, they need to know who, what, what kind of students do we serve? Uh, what kind of budgets do they have? What kind of money do we have to give out? And they need to be realistic about what they can do based on those things. Um, mm -hmm. Every college isn't going to be uh, a phenomenal, you know, a, a, a story about the next MIT. They just mm -hmm. can't do that. And and the colleges that are that know what they are are likely to do better than colleges that don't. And th this is not just for, um, you know, for it's for admissions, but it's for the decisions to enroll. Um, you know, look at colleges' websites. A lot of them look the same frankly, um, and they shouldn't. They should stress whatever is unique about that college uh, and, and provide information on how to go and how to pay for it. And, and Scott, directly to that, I'm doing secret shopping right now still. It's a year-long project that's wrapping up in a couple months here that I would say majority of the emails, if you black out the name of the college, you wouldn't be able to differentiate one from another. Yep. And, you know, and that's really a shame, um, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, you have to remember that um, my, I have a nephew who is a high school senior this year, and mm -hmm. uh, I was talking to him about the messages he gets from colleges, and they all are the same. And, um, and if, you know, it, it, it's gutsy to be a little different, to, to truly stress the way your college um, is unique. But um, it also could get you some new students who, who otherwise could, you know, move right by you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. To see. I mean, what, what was the old saying? You don't get fired for hiring for buying IBM. Was that right? Yeah. Or yeah, I mean, if you say the same thing, then you can't get fired, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah. Now, before I want to see your secret shopper uh, uh, project. I'll I'll send some info. Uh, it's still still preliminary, but I'll, I'll okay. email you hereafter. <laughs> uh, this one, I always I always I hate thinking about this, but it's a reality too. We've seen a number of colleges close over the last few years. What do you think we'll see in 2023 with more financial pressure and these ongoing problems that you, you keep limping by? But how long can you limp by? Yeah, I mean, one of the key things is. I predict that Congress is not going to appropriate much new money for colleges. And many colleges 
uh, survived because Congress gave them money um, to survive. And now it's run, run out. We saw two colleges close in December and another already this month. Uh, we've also seen mergers this month and last month. Um, and another, um, another merger we're gonna see this afternoon, in fact. Um, so uh, colleges, uh, are, more colleges are gonna close, but you know which colleges are gonna close? Small private colleges, very small private colleges, um, enrollment of under 1,000 um, and, and many times smaller are, are most vulnerable if they don't have a meaningful endowment. And most of those colleges don't. And, um, and I think we're gonna see more of them close as well, more of them will look to merge. Um, but the mergers, for that to work, it's not gonna be two weak colleges merging it's going to have to be a college merging with a much stronger college. Um, and, you know, this is, it's very sad to see a college close. It's so sad. Um, on the other hand, and I don't mean to sound in any way heartless here, the reality is the colleges closing creates an opportunity for other colleges uh, that are nearby, that have the same mission, mm -hmm. to go after those students and to do well by them. So um, I don't think we're gonna see a lot of closures of large colleges and universities, but I think we're gonna see a bunch more of small ones. Yeah. All right, well, we've, we've got several questions here, but if you have other questions, other things you want to, uh, you want to add, add that chat, uh, button, add chat box on the right side of your screen is usually where it loads. Uh, we'll get to those in just a second. As those come in, just wanted to plug uh, our next webinar on February 21st at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the, it'll be the results of a survey that we're just wrapping up here on how recruiting practices affect high school student and transfer student interest. So how do these visit opportunities, college fairs, different activities affect their, their perceptions, their interests? So um, you can register there. We'll send that out in the follow-up as well.